Hi, I'm Sam Chan, and you're listening to the Sam Chan Leadership Podcast. In my desire to help others succeed, I'm here to help you and your organization grow, grow to the next level. Thank you for joining me on this leadership journey. Let's get started. So, one of the questions that uh, somebody asked me out there: So, what's the difference between a system and a structure? Here we go. Time to erase the strain. So, you know, you go into any organization, church, corporate, doesn't matter. 30% of my business is corporate, 70% is church. And they'll draw something like this out for me. And what is this called? An org chart. An org chart without names in it is known as a system. You put in names in there and it becomes a structure. Without the names, it's a system. With the names, it's a structure. Most conversations in staff meetings and leadership meetings are not about the system at all. They're about moving this person from here to here, this person from here to here, this person from here to here. They're always about a person that gets in your head. And you go to sleep thinking about them. You wake up thinking about them. So when, when church is saying, well, we are really changing things around, I get that. But you did not change anything about the system. You just moved people around. And like in the first session we talked about, we moved cancer around. But this is the difference between a system and a structure. So what I want to do now is to give you some... Uh, Pathways of, of thinking. Pathways of thinking. Three words. Choices, chances, changes. Choices, chances, changes. Choices, chances, changes. Everyone together. Choices, chances, changes. Now, everything going to hear throughout the conference is going to bring you to a point of making a choice. Some of you are going to make a choice of doing nothing. Some of you are going to make a choice of praying some more about it. I mean, how long are you going to pray? I mean, haven't you prayed, 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 but the cancer is still there? You bring them to this conference, they're sitting next to them. Sooner or later, you got to make a choice. And when you make a choice, the second word is what? You take a chance. Now, the only thing sure in life is Jesus. After that, is whatever it is. I mean, where you go to church, who you marry, what you drive. There's nothing certain about any, anything. And what I have found is as organizations get larger, businesses get larger, churches get larger, they lose their appetite for risk. So when you go to a storefront church with five folding chairs duct taped together, a toilet that does not work, there are more people outside the church making sure your car is still there. (laughs) Been there, done that, preached in those churches. 
when you were in the storefront, when you were in your garage, when you were starting your living room, when you were in the smaller, whatever, your risk was, what have you got to lose? Let's go after this. But now that you have a building, now that you have a name, now you have a location, your risk appetite goes down. Because this, this, is, what it, this is how you got to think about it. The, when you're 100% sure, you're too late. And everybody wants to be 100% sure. I can tell you, and I don't mean to be sacrilegious. I, I have made lots of decisions in my life. I can't tell you that I've ever made a decision, except for Jesus, that was 100% sure. I remember mean, when Brenda and I got married in 1979. It was like, I hope this works out. <laughs> and there were days they were like 2% certainty. Don't be looking at me like you got it going on. I saw some of you fighting out there this morning. Isn't the, isn't the worst thing when you're the pastor of a church and you've been fighting on the way to church? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that church I used to pass. It has nothing to do with what I'm teaching, but it comes to my mind, so I'm filling in some time here. Uh, <laughs> making up stuff as you go along. So in those days, uh, the church I pastored, they used to have the chairs in the pulpit. You remember the big chair in the middle for the chief and the flunkies on either side? The wannabes, you know? Yeah. So I don't know what it was about Sunday mornings. Brenda and I would just, you know, fight over. Brenda and I never fought. We always had vigorous interchange of concerned ideas. <laughs> and there, you know, there you are sitting, and there she's sitting in the, you know, second, third row. You know how you ladies do with your hands folded? Like, you're looking at us, but not looking at us. It's like... And you're sitting there saying, you know, I got to get up and preach. And she's sitting there thinking, if these people knew <laughs> what I know. <laughs> so you're sitting up there blowing kisses, no response. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the clock is ticking, clock is ticking, clock is ticking. And you know, when you give the altar call, she's saying, you jerk. You need to be the first one down there. <laughs> Nothing is sure. You make choices. You got to take chances. When you lose your appetite for risk taking, you really are putting an artificial lid over your own growth. Because everybody wants to get to the third and final word, which is what? Changes. So everybody wants to see changes, but before you can see changes, you got to do the other two things. Make a choice. Take a chance. And then you're going to see some changes. So every organization lives in the following tension. They live in this tension. You are here your history, sorry, your history is here. Your horizons are here. And the tension is that you are where? Here. 
So every organization is dealing with its history and its horizons. Now, I'm all about honoring history. But history is like the rear view of your car. It's important. It's illegal to drive without it. It gives you perspective where you come from. It teaches you lessons, what has happened. It tells you what it might be looking in your surrounding, in your context. But you cannot drive your car going forward at speed limit just looking through the rear view. So every leader, doesn't matter where you are in life, is dealing with these two tensions. I, this is my history and these are my horizons, but I am here. And the more we become the historical us, the less you're going to go toward your horizons. So we honor our history, but we run towards our horizons. And that tension, my dear friends, is a tension, A, you got to be aware of. You got to move it from your subconscious or unconscious to your conscious state of thinking. Once you move it there and you say, we are in this tension. So when you go into a meeting, there is that tension and you got to manage that ten tension. is not bad. It is just, you have to recognize that there is that tension between here and there. So when we talk about systems and structures, one of the areas that shows up in church is how do we engage people and how do we keep them engaged? How do we engage people and how we keep them engaged? And the three words there is heart, head, hands. Heart, head, hands. Heart, head, hands. You engage them in that sequence. In that sequence of understanding, it is starts with your heart. Then your head. And then your hands. With the heart you feel. With the head you think. With the hands you do. But most of our churches are so desperate. Somebody walks in off the street and we say, can you teach that class? <laughs> Pastor, this is my first time in church ever. Oh, don't worry about it. Just tell them a story. <laughs> it's like, you breathing? And we'd like to engage people's hands because we are desperate for more volunteers, more help in whatever area. And the more you go start with hands, there's no longevity in there, there's no heart in there, there's no vision in there, they are not aligned to your mission. Uh, Dale Bronner talked about that last night. You want people who hear the sound of your heart. If they don't hear the sound of your heart. You, you know the best people are the people around you who can finish your sentences for you. The best people around you are people who take your seminal idea and make it better. The best people around you are people who actually believe in you. You know, when I'm looking for faithful people, anybody can have faith in Jesus. I'm looking for some people who can have faith in me. Because if you don't have faith in your pastor, then find a church where you can have you know, church folk are crazy. I can say that because I is one. I was born and raised in a Pentecostal pastor's home in India. Been around church all my life. 
And I'm here to tell you, I, the church for crazy. I'd never understood why somebody does not have faith in the preacher and still keeps coming to the same church. Sunday after Sunday, they wake up mad, they get dressed mad, they drive mad, they sit mad, don't give mad, don't worship mad, leave madder. What's wrong with you? Go somewhere else, be healed. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. In fact, put a letter of recommendation on your website. Say, download it, put in your name. You're recommended. You know when preachers get together for prayer breakfast, ain't no praying going on. Oh, she at your church now? It's going to help your prayer life. <laughs> because we are so busy trying to get people's hands. You got to start with how they feel. Now people say, well, don't go by feelings. I'm here to tell you, every major decision you're going to make in life is a feeling decision. Who you marry. Feeling decision. I remember when uh, Brenda, we were students in Bible college and Brenda was chasing me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That could be the truth. So one day I had some cologne on. Probably was something like Old Spice. Or that green bottle. Remember with the, with the necklace, what, Brute? Makes you smell like a funeral home kind of thing. So, so I must have had, you know, that's the only thing you could afford. In the, so, so, <laughs> so I'm sure I had something like that on. And Brenda says to me, mm, you smell good. Well, man, I went and bought gallons of it. Because how she made me feel. People come to your church not because you're a great preacher. Praise and worship. It is how you make them feel. The house that you are in, that you bought. You walked in there and said, oh, this feels like home. The car that you drive. I mean, you can drive a $15,000 car or you can drive a million-dollar car. They all have wheels. They all take gas. They all take you to your destination. The reason you buy different level cars is about how it makes you feel. And so this whole thing about, well, don't go by feelings. Well, stop that. Everybody does. If you don't, the trust, what is trust? I mean, you don't do business with somebody unless you trust them. Because trust is a feeling based on repeated reality. It's a feeling. Heart. And then the head. So if you're having a new members class or an orientation class, whatever you want to call it, don't start with the doctrine of the Trinity. I've read books on it. Been to college. Nobody can explain it. Well, it's like an egg. It's got a shell. It's got white and yellow. It's like water. It is like liquid, vapor, and ice. Nah! Really? And that explains the Trinity? Three in one, one in three. I don't know. Don't start with eschatology. When is he coming back? Has he already come back? Have we been left behind? <laughs> Will it happen before, during, after? Will it happen? You know, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. 
So don't be starting here. Give them heart. And then engage them with their hands. So there are four questions you have to ask yourself. Let me give you all four, talk about them briefly. And then I want to see if you have any takeaways. So right, so be thinking about that. No more than one sentence. If you were to leave, here is what I'm leaving with. Here are the four questions. Number one, what defines you? What defines you? What defines you? Number two, what are my deliverables? What defines me? Let's go with me. What defines me? What are my deliverables? Number three, what are my delivery systems? And number four, who are my drivers? Who are my drivers? So question number one is what? What defines me? Number two is what are my deliverables? Number three is what are my delivery systems? And number four is who are my drivers? Let's talk about those four briefly. Then I'm going to ask you what you got out of this. One sentence, maybe five, seven, eight of you. And then I want to finish up at the end of that. Number one, what defines you? Don't try to be like every other church. You have your own calling. I, I, I think having a home for unwed mothers, teenage unwed mothers is a great thing, but I don't have to have that. There's somebody else doing it in town. I can send them a check. Somebody can have a, be having this kind of music that works here. Maybe some places you need to have something else. Uh, I, was, I was at a, at a church, uh, oh, maybe three, four years ago. And I walked into the church and the average age had to be 70 plus about 500 of them, halos. In some cases, no halos. I noticed they were still singing from the hymnal. I noticed they had quartet type music. I'm sitting there waiting to be introduced to preach and I'm sitting to myself, don't these people know? That we don't do that church anymore. Have they not heard of overhead transparencies? I'm sitting there thinking, wow, really? A quartet? Hymno? The red one. So after service was over, I was having lunch with the pastor. He's a good friend of mine. I said, man, what are you doing? Those times are over. He looked at me. He said, well, this is what happened. In our town, there are a number of the latest, greatest churches who are doing all the funky stuff with lights, smoke. You know the Shekinah glory of God? 
<laughs> what God has not wrought, I have bought. <laughs> yeah. Skinny jeans, spiky hair. He said, everybody's doing that. But these grandparents are looking for what used to be. And so, I have no problem growing my church. He said, I don't have to do any marriage counseling. <laughs> do a lot of funerals. And then he looked at me and said, I have more money than I know what to do with. Our biggest challenge in board meetings is, so what are we going to do with this? He found what defined him. He's surrounded by all the funky churches. That's the Greek word for anointed. <laughs> he's surrounded by all the funky churches. And in the middle of it all, he's got about 500 gray heads, average age 70 plus. And having a great time. You've got to know what defines you. Especially with the news media and, and, and with all the, you can watch services all over the world now. And everybody wants to be that. But that may not be you. What defines you? Number two is what? What are your deliverables? That simply says every church has a deliverable. Okay. And, and you are branded. See, a lot of talk about branding. Uh, you never brand yourself. You are branded by other people. Branding is what others say about you, not what's on your website. You can say friendliest church in town and nobody talks to you. Okay, let, let, me, let me give you some example. I'm going to name you a church not too far from here and you tell me what is their deliverable? Brooklyn Tabernacle. Now you know they have a pastor. Okay, I'll give you another one from Dr. Gerald Brooks Town. Let me give you the name of a church. You tell me what's their deliverable. Potter's House. Now you know they have a choir. Everyone is branded. So when people come to your church, they come to your business, everybody knows what's the deliverable. What are they going to walk away with? In some cases, going to be praise and worship. Children, most growing churches are leading with children. Uh, it, you've got to know what is your deliverable. And then you've got to go there. Uh, imagine, imagine if uh, uh, Danny was... Uh, a restaurant owner and felt like Danny's restaurant, he felt that they make the best burgers. They make the best burgers. Burgers are us. <laughs> Danny's burgers. However, at the end of the month, when they calculate all the receipts, Danny finds out that they sold more fried chicken than burgers. 
Now he has an opportunity to buy a billboard on the highway. And he wants to put a picture on there. Danny thinks he's got the best burgers in town. He's deliverable. His customers are telling him, it's your fried chicken. What picture should he put on there? But you know what preachers do? Put a burger up there. And nobody buying burger at your church. They're coming for fried chicken. So stop being self-delusional. Stop smoking whatever you're smoking. <laughs> and get some good stuff to smoke. You got to know what's your deliverable. Number three, what are your what? Delivery systems. So how do you deliver? You can have a product. So question, how does a can of corn get to your table from Iowa? There's what? Delivery systems. If the truck breaks down, you're in problem. If the gas price goes up, your corn price goes up. With the, if the tariffs with China take, it's, 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 what are your delivery systems? How do you, how do you deliver what you say is your product? Well, we're trying to reach Jesus for, people for Jesus. Well, we want to reach the world for Jesus. All cool, but what's your System. Can you actually draw it on a whiteboard for me and say, this happens, number two, this happens, number three, this happens, number four, this happens, number five, this happens, and that is how the corn gets from Iowa to my table. Delivery systems. Most churches have never sat down and actually said to the youth leader, draw me a timeline delivery system or to whatever department. And the fourth question is what? Who are my drivers? Because the people who you surround yourself with are either going to make you or break you. It's never about you. It's always the people around you. Who are your drivers? You can have the best product. You can have the great process. But if your drivers are messed up, or your drivers are taking the bus somewhere else, <laughs> which happens. You know, they go up the road and start another bus depot. We have so many multi-site churches that are glorified church splits. We just spin them out, you know. Ah, Danny, God's leading Danny to... Sir, all of you want to go with him, you're welcome to do that. You're going to receive an offering. What they don't know, he's an Absalom. But we can't say that from there. Oh, we can't. We can. We just don't. Maybe somebody needs to. The whole idea of who are your drivers, especially the people closest to you. Uh, where is it? Where is it? There. All right, this is Jesus and his, his strategy here. So here's the crowd. Here are the 70 plus disciples. 
Here are the 12, and here are the three. The three, the 12, the 70, the crowd. Somebody tell me, where did, with which category did Jesus spend most of his time with? The three. Where do we spend most of our time with? Mm-hmm. We are counting this. Jesus is counting this. So the three are there to think. The 12 are there to organize. The 70 are there to do, and the crowd is simply public relations. PR. And as a preacher, you need to know you're only as good as last Sunday. Nobody remembers the revival that broke out whenever. It's bigger in your head than theirs. So when you talk about drivers, Jesus had no problem understanding that there's a demarcation between different levels. We are all about, I got 628 people. Nothing wrong with that. My question is, who are your three? Because when Jesus left this planet, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it said there were how many people there? Well, not 120. It says, that's right. It says, about. They've always had counting problems in church. <laughs> yeah. Peter kind of looked over there and said, mm, looks like about 120. What do you say, Andrew? Yeah, about 120. Philip? Yeah, I'd go along with that. So after all was said and done, and the multitudes that followed him, the crowds, Jesus knew that he was going to have a global enterprise known as the church. And it was not going to happen through the crowd. It's going to be happened through the three. Now you can have three, you can have two, you can have five. The number is not the issue. My question is, not only do you know who your three are, but more importantly, what is your strategy with those three? Because you're so busy building this and not realizing that this is more important than this. You grow this and this will grow. You grow this and if this is not there, you're hollow. I, I get, it's amazing how some of the churches I go to, thousands of people, but the distance between the senior pastor and the next is so big. I call that the wisdom gap. And if you're a pastor here, you've got to know who your three are, who your two are, who your five are, and then have a strategy on how you're going to create the kind of drivers that you need. You may have to move some people out of the way. You may have to bring people. So there are three questions you always ask yourself, and then I'm, I'm going to stop uh, and ask you what's your takeaway, then I'm going to conclude. Question number one, who to retain? Question number two, who to release? Question number three, who to reassign with retraining? Question number one is what? Who to retain? Just because somebody was good three years ago does not mean they're good today. Don't let somebody else's lack of growth stymie your growth. You decide not to grow. Let me, let me make it very simple. Everyone look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. One, two, three. If you don't grow, 
You got a... You all are so good. Let's do that. One, two, three. If you don't, you got a lack of growth on somebody's... Because growth is a choice. You know, if you meet somebody and say, Oh, Danny, you're still the same. That's not a compliment. So you've got to ask yourself who to retain. Number two, who to release. I've helped corporations over all these years, probably by now, help them fire thousands of people. Literally. And I'm here to tell you, I've never had a senior pastor, never had a CEO, executive director, ever have a regret about firing somebody. However, a hundred percent of them have had the same regret. Can someone tell me what that is? Why didn't I do this? See, some people's feelings are going to hurt sooner or later. Why not sooner? And be done with it. Who I? So you ask your question: Who do I retain? Who do I release? And number three: Who do I reassign? With what? Retraining. Never just reassign. Assume nothing. Just because they've been in the church for 25 years does not mean they know the other department. In fact, check with the other department to make sure they want this person. Because once you get this person there to extricate them, you, you might, you know, sometimes the remedy is worse than the problem. So don't create another problem. Who to retain, who to release, who to reassign with retraining. I'm going to quit right there. I could go on all day. And I want to just hear from seven, eight of you. What's your one takeaway so far? If you were to leave right now, somebody calls you on the phone, say, what did you get? What did you take away? It doesn't have to be something you wrote down, but something you heard. Somebody, who wants to be first? Yes, sir. Okay, if you can, change the people. Okay, somebody else. Yes, ma'am. Two legged cancer, yep, yep. All of you got a name for that. Okay, somebody else. Say again? Yes, ma'am. Spend more time with the three. Somebody else, your takeaway. What defines you? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, if you, you don't grow, you gotta go. Yes, sir. Uh huh. See, the, 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 the thing is, everything that you hear through me, through the preachers in the evening, through workshops, through teachers, it all brings you to a place of what does it mean for me? What meaneth this? So I want to give you three phrases to write down, and then I'll get out of your way. Number one, hard work, H-A-R-D. W-O-R-K, hard work. Number two, heart work, H-E-A-R-T, heart work. H-E-A-R-T, like the one beating in your chest. And number three, homework, homework. Hard work, H-A-R-D as in David, heart work, H-E-A-R-T, Work, 
And finally is what? Homework. So if, if you want to get every Tuesday a free video from me, many of you get it, less than two minutes. It's on leadership. It's free. You like it, keep it. Don't like it, dump it. Comes with a money back guarantee. And you want that book, which is a compilation of some of my books called Leadership Essentials. You can go in your phone, go to the text play page, put in the number 444-999. And my name Chand and voila, you'll be in. You like it, pass it along. You don't like it, just, just dump it. And by the way, I've got only one book left. So what's it going for? What, what do you want to give? Let's, let's start. Let's start with you. You have it. Okay. See, he wimped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wimped out. All right. So this book is here. And at the end of the session, just 20 bucks and you can have the book. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. If I time, I talk to you about the disciples that Jesus chose. None of them came from rabbinical schools, synagogues. They were all business people. But I got a whole, whole piece on that. Let's talk about the three things here so I can get out of the way. Hard work. You need to know if you're in church ministry, it is hard work. There's no harder work. There is no harder work. Because as a servant of the Most High in a local church environment, you see more of the wear and tear of life than any other professional. A doctor sees you for physical needs. Your banker sees your financial needs. Insurance agencies for insurance needs. Your psychiatrist sees you because you're crazy. A plumber sees you because of your plumbing needs. Electrician for electrical needs. But you... Get to see people from the womb to the tomb. You hatch, match, and dispatch. You are there when they're getting married. You are there when they're getting a divorce. You are there when they make a decision for Jesus. And you are there when they walk away from Jesus. You are there when the babies are being born. And you are there when the mamas are dying. You are there when they move into their new house and you are there when they're being evicted out of that house. You see every side is hard work. And what's harder than that is you are never off. Listen, if I was an electrician and wanted to go on vacation, I could shut it down. Don't have to have a phone. I could actually have a vacation. I have, I have uh, friends of mine who are senior leaders say, where are you? Oh, I'm on Mediterranean cruise. I'm on vacation. No, you're not. You're just not in the office. And you're never off. So if you're signing up to be, if you are just an emerging pastor here and you're signing up to be a pastor, if I can talk you out of it, I'd like to. I remember I was doing a roundtable for emerging pastors, church planter type things. And, and towards the end, one of the guys raised his hands and said, Dr. Chan, can you give me, what's your best advice for me? 
I looked at him and said, I got one word, quit. <laughs> quit while you still have options. Because once you're in, only way you can get out is to mess up or die or get killed. It's hard work. Ministry is not for weaklings. It's extremely hard. And pastoring is harder today than ever before. You are dealing with issues today that I didn't have to deal with when I was pastoring. My daddy surely didn't have to deal with them when he was pastoring. We never thought we would have to deal with that, but it is here. It is harder. It's hard work. Number two, it is hard work. Because in ministry, there'll be people who will betray you. People will take you for granted. Have you not found that the people you help the most will be the first to leave your church? Never stop to say thank you. Pastor, you were there when uh, my house burned down and you gave us a place to live. Pastor, you were there when we didn't have a job and you brought groceries to our home. Pastor, you were there when I was in the hospital and you visited me more than my family did. Pastor, you were there when my marriage was on the rocks and you helped us put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Pastor, you were there in the hardest moments of my life. And by the way, I'm leaving. Church folk have the shortest memories. It is hard work. What I want to say to you is, don't let any scar tissue form on your heart. Because if you do, then you'll never allow people to get close to you. And you're going to go by, I'll never let that happen again. I'll never do that again. Uh, let me say the sentence to you. The moment people cannot hurt you anymore is the moment you disqualify yourself from ministry. Heart work. Forgive everybody. Let them go. Be free. Release people. They came for a season, not for a lifetime. Let them go. Because unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting them to die. Let them go. Finally, it is what? Number three is homework. Homework. The most important people you're going to take to heaven with you are not your church folk. It's your family. Mm -hmm. If you're married, stay married. How many of you married people do I have here? Majority of you. So let me talk to you. When, you. when you are going through a difficult time, you got to decide, I'm in it. I told my wife when we got married, if you ever leave me, I'm coming with you. And, and we've, we've given a Christian twist to stuff like he fell into adultery. Well, help me understand that. I'm walking along in life. 
loving Jesus, loving my family, loving my children. Help! I fell. Because Psalm, the fourth Psalm, gives us the anatomy of sin. It says, blessed is the man who walketh not. And next thing is what? Standeth not. And the final is what? Sit. That's the anatomy of sin. That's the progression of sin. If I see a naked woman, I keep on walking. It's all cool. If I stand and say, oh, mama mia. God, you had a good day. Whoa. But by the time you sit down, it's too late. I travel a lot. I used to travel with a male assistant, then I stopped doing that. Because nowadays, even that is not safe. So, so I travel by myself. I'm in hotels by myself. I'm over 200 flights a year for 150 hotels a year. So I'll tell you what Sam says to himself. Now, this may not work for you. First of all, let me tell you, prayer doesn't help. All of my friends who messed up were praying people. By the time you're praying, it's too late. Prayer doesn't help. I'm just talking from Sam. I'm trying to be sacrilegious towards the end, Pastor. So after this, I'm out of here and you can clean up. You're preaching tonight, right? And you're preaching on can these bones live? What an appropriate ending here and you can just take it from there. So those are the two things I say to myself. The first thing I say to myself is, Sam, you mess up. You'll be a very poor man. I was poor. Thank God I'm not. That's not a cocky statement. It is simply saying, won't have a house. Won't have any money. No speaking engagements. <laughs> no book sales. I'll be a poor. So I just define reality for myself. Second thing I say to myself, Sam, you're almost 66. You mess up now. You won't live long enough to rehab your life. If I messed up when I was 28, 35, it'd still be wrong, still be sinful, still be terrible. I get that. But I could move from there, wherever I'm at, to Albuquerque. You heard of anybody moving to Albuquerque? <laughs> so I'll move to Albuquerque. I could get me a job, start attending a church. I could be an usher, greeter, parking lot guy. And then get promoted to the soundboard. And maybe they'll give me a small group. And by the time I'm 47, 48, I could be back in the saddle. Not now. 
I, my, my runway is running out. I mean, I'm not no delusion that I'm going to live forever. We're all going to die. You're going to die. So I want to leave you with uh, saying to you, keep your home life strong. Keep your zipper up. As goes the home, so goes your ministry. You can fake it for just a little bit. It'll catch up with you. Because see, God created only two institutions in the Bible. In Genesis, the family. And in Acts, the church. Only two institutions. And a church is made up of family units. See, when I die, when I die, it doesn't really matter what the preacher says. All preachers lie at funerals. If you have not lied, you haven't done a funeral. There's special grace for funerals. I mean, have you ever heard a preacher say, and this jerk bust hell wide open. Burn, baby, burn. See, see, at my funeral, my, fam- my funeral is all written out. It, it's all written. Who's going to do what? So and so. I don't, I, I, I don't want a celebration service. I want people to cry. <laughs> this is a very expensive party and I'm not even there. I don't want to lay it down like this. I don't want any church music. I want some sweet jazz. I'm going to get enough church stuff up there. With no way out of it, you know. It's it's all in writing. Absolutely. I don't want somebody planning my funeral when I can plan my own. Because I know I'm going to go. One of these days. So it doesn't matter what the preacher says. You know what will matter is what my wife says. You know what will matter is what my children say. You know what will matter is what my grandchildren say. Because they know me on the inside. They'd, when I get home, to, uh, Tuesday, right? When I get home tonight, I'm going to be no Dr. Sam Chand. It's like, hey, babe, don't forget to take the trash down. It is their testimony that I'm living for. Because this it can come and go. I'm living for homework. Homework. Because the best testimony as a pastor for church is how your home is doing. Because that's what people are watching. How it's not like they're looking for a perfect home. They're looking for a human home. Homework. Keep your marriage strong. Finish strong. Work it out. Whatever it is, work it out. It's never easy, is it? Just work it out. So I don't know how to land this right now. I could start with Gen- in Genesis, he was this. In Exodus, he was that. And I can end with Revelation. And he's the, still the king.
But I do want to pray for leaders. Let me pray for you. Lord, if you had just saved us, that would have been pretty cool. But not only did you save us, you chose us. And then you called us. That means you have plans for our life. That means you trust us. That means you have expectations of us. That means we carry a weighty responsibility as stewards of the best news. It's not the good news, it's the best news for humanity. Because in the work you've called us to, we have to be chosen by you. Just because I go to a certain school does not qualify me. You have to choose us. And for that, we are so grateful. So grateful. And all of us live for that day when you will put your arm around us and say to us, well done, the good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. And that's what we want to live for. So Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for this great conference. I thank you for the great pastor of this house, Pastor John Wagner. Thank you for the anointing on his life. Thank you for placing him in this moment of history so we all can tie to his destiny and go higher. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, I pray for every home that is represented in this room that will keep our homes strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 